Welcome to See a Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James takes a hiatus to give a message regarding various interpretations of the book of Revelation as a primer to our sermon about the parousia, Christ's second coming. You can find more information about our ministry by visiting us at seeafire.org, or you can view James's latest videos on YouTube at See a Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to edify the church. All right, so today, as we are going to consider Christ's second coming, it's also uh, referred to as the parousia, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. I don't think I have it on here, so that's how you spell it. Uh, but it's, it, it's regarding Christ's second coming. Okay, now before we consider this in our second message, I want to just introduce some things. There's much, you know, there's so much involved with his second coming that we're going to have to look at this at an introductory level. And so the first thing I want to do is kind of point out a few different kinds, different ways of interpretations, different ways theologians have seen the book of Revelation, especially contemporary, contemporarily, okay? And, I'll get, and I want to share with you my own uh, view of interpretation, of which I'm fairly dogmatic, um, but only one of which I think is actually heretical, and we'll get to that, um, because you can be eschatologically uh, heretical. Now, eschatology, I think we've made this point, but it has to do, eschat- the eschaton is the, the study of end times. So eschatology is the study of the latter days, of the end of the age, okay, which obviously um, is preceded by Christ's second coming or the parousia, okay. So the first, if we can, oh, I guess I should turn this on. All righty. We're off to a great start. All right. So the first, the first view, one of which I find to actually be heretical, is the preterist view. So preterism, simply put, means that this has already taken place. Okay? This has already happened. So the prophecies are historical. All the prophecies in the book of Revelation or in Daniel, it, the, the book of Daniel, in particular the, the, the seventh chapter, has much to do and reflects much of the book of Revelation. So it has to do with the end of the, the end of the age as well. Okay. So, and there are basically two distinct types of preterism. Okay. But ultimately they see the fall of Jerusalem as the, the end of the book of Revelation. Okay. And we'll get into this more. I just want to introduce this or some of them see it uh, finalizing at the fall of Rome in the fifth century or that the prophecies were simply mistaken, okay? Now, so there's full-fledged preterism, and I find that to be heretical. Those who see that the the coming of Christ is already fulfilled, and so really eschatology only has to do with what happens to you when you die. That's silly. That's absolutely unorthodox. It's unbiblical. And so, in my opinion, that's heretical. And that's the only one I find to be heretical in these viewpoints. There's part, there's partial preterism, okay? And that means that many of the, the prophecies which we'll look at, the Olivet Discourse, which Christ gave, we're going we're gonna to talk about that kind of towards the end here, d- did have to do with the fall of Jerusalem in particular. So they see that that part is fulfilled, but they also say that m- most of the prophecies are to come. They are, are in the future, okay? And obviously, I don't find that one heretical. Full-fledged preterism, I do find an absolute heresy. 
you also have the historicist uh, viewpoint. And this generally sees Revelation predicting major movements throughout Christian history to the present time. So, you, so you'll see with um, through the book of Revelation, you know they have they have these seals, all these judgments. You have the seals, you have seven seals, you have seven trumpets, you have seven bowls. Okay, and they they see this as a progressive chart of history until our time and particular through these certain and specific events, okay? Now, they limit the apocalypse to Western church history. I mean, that's, the one, that's one of the downfalls of this viewpoint, again, in my opinion, and in many scholars' opinions. But in my opinion, it, it limits the, the apocalypse. The apocalypse is the revelation. The, the, the Greek word apocalypsis is truly the word given in Revelation 1, the revelation given to John. It's the apocalypse given to John. Okay, so, so they see this mostly through a Western perspective. Okay, this also results in disagreements between different ages. They cannot, they can only be seen contemporarily with their own times. So this is kind of obvious, right? So, you know, the, the historicist viewpoint back in the 6th century would differ with that of the modern perspective. So they're, they're always different. They're always changing. And so I think that's where it also falls through. Additionally, this view would, would have had little relevance to first century readers. They have an argument against this, and, and we'll get into that. But if this is only it, it, the historicist viewpoint, if this is the fact, if this is the case, then the book of Revelation would have had no meaning to the first century reader. Okay, so it falls by that weight as well. And again, we are just merely introducing these. So you don't really have to remember these terms, but notice the perspectives. So if somebody says that they're a preterist, be, be slow to before you just cast them out to be an absolute heretic. Most of them are going to be quick to tell you, well, I'm a partial preterist. Okay, I do still see many of these prophecies coming to pass in the future. The historicist viewpoint is, is mostly seen in the Catholic Church. You'll see them kind of talk about many of the, the, the history of the church throughout until our time throughout the book of Revelation. Okay. Now the futurist view, there are also two versions of this. The prophecies refer to events immediately preceding the end of history. So everything in the book of Revelation in this perspective, dispensationalism, this is really probably the most popular viewpoint in America. It kind of it started about 200 years ago, and it's, it's come down to our time where they see everything as in the future, okay, and the and the rapture is pre-tribulation. It's a pre-tribulation rapture. So we'll be caught up into the cloud with Christ for a period of seven years for the during the tribulation until He comes again. And there's again, there's much to the, to this that I find completely falls by its own weight. But it, again, it sees the order of the visions literally and generally representing the order of future events. Again, this is the most popular in America. This is kind of the order of things, and we won't, you know, I just kind of wanted to put this out there. You can have a copy of this if you'd like. It just kind of shows you where they see everything kind of coming down, okay? Now, the, this is why this viewpoint, and other viewpoints too, when Israel was restored to the nation of Israel, when the nation of Israel was restored back in the 40s, they see this as a huge event, 
And that's why many people think that we are at the end of days now. Okay. Now, all ages, all ages of Christian history has seen their own generation at the end of days. And I think that's fine. I think we're supposed to always be looking forward to the coming of Christ, always being ready. Remember, that's what we've also emphasized. Peter says that. Always be ready. Paul says that. All the apostles say that. Always be ready. Be ready in season and out of season. Remember that? Okay, so that's kind of where it comes from. That's that's the reason we we're always supposed to be, we we're meant to be prepared at all times. Jesus warns us because his second coming is like the thief in the night, right? When the thief comes, you're never prepared. If you knew the thief was coming, you would prepare. You would safeguard your entire house to keep everybody safe. And so that's how we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be looking forward to his coming. However, always being prepared and thereby, therefore also preaching the good news of Christ to the ends of the earth to bring people to himself, but also preparing the bride herself as well, the church. Okay, so they see chapter one of the book of Revelation represents the past. Okay, the dispensationalists. Okay, uh, chapter two and three represents the past. Oh, I'm sorry, the present. And chapter four through, I'm sorry, this is a typo. It's present. Chapter and then chapter four through almost the end of the book of Revelation represents the future. Okay, that's where the dispensationalists see the book of Revelation. The other version of the futurist viewpoint, again, this that's the definition. It's a modified futurism. It doesn't interpret as literally as the dispensationalist, neither holds as strongly the sequence of events. Okay, this modified version is at least more rational to me. Again, this is this is all my perspective, and and as dogmatic as I am about my viewpoint, again, I don't see these as heretical. Okay, only the full-fledged preterist I see as heretical. Okay, so. These people can, can affirm the church as the true Israel, which we are. We did not replace Israel, but again, the church is basically an outflowing of God's people, even from the old covenant into the new. We do not replace Israel. That's the replacement theory. We are of the true Israel who existed as well in the old covenant. And Christ, again, is the true Israel. So anybody, everybody who is grafted into his, the tree of Christ is the true Israel. And Paul makes that clear. He makes the distinction between ethnic Israel and ethnic Gentiles, but he also talks about there's only one tree, okay? And some of the roots, some of the branches, some of the dead branches have been cut off to graft us into the to the vine of Christ, basically, okay? So these the this modified version sees whereas the others the other one saw you know this particular part is the present these people see that the, this these four chapters chapters four through the beginning of eight uh, covers the period between Christ's resurrection to the end of the Jewish age while the rest remains future another form of modified futurism maintains the seals trumpets and bowls represent the same successive time period so which some idealists see that as well. well we'll look at the idealist viewpoint i i tend to subscribe to that but in a in a modified version as well however so so the 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 seals are the first ones written in the in the book of revelation then come the trumpets then come the then come the bowls however i i see them and these people see them as as kind of happening at the same time it's not a successive historical narrative 
Okay, it's not a sequence of events. They're whole and they're one. Okay, that's essential. That, that part is essential. And we'll get into that more when I talk about my, uh, my viewpoint as well. So this version is more viable than a stricter counterpart, but still encounters significant problems. So some problems with the futurist view position, it would have no, again, this one would have no relevance to the first century reader as well. If everything's concerning the future, then why, how would it be relevant to the first century reader? How would it possibly be? Okay, again, I don't find this heretical. I just find it irrational. I find it less convincing. Let me put it that way. So to those of the church who hold to this viewpoint, I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to burn in the pits of hell forever. I'm just saying I find it to, to be less than convincing. However, just as a historicist, this is what I was talking about, the futurist might contend that there is relevance as Christ's coming has always been expected imminently. Even, even Paul in his epistles, even Peter, everybody thought, expected Christ to return. Okay, And many secular scholars have an issue with this. However, the church has always been ready for Christ's second coming. Let me just put it that way. Okay, We look forward to Christ's second coming. And so they anticipated the second coming as well. And they think that since Paul talks about we who are alive in Christ will be caught up in the clouds, you know, after those who, are fa who have fallen asleep, since he includes him, himself as part of the we, then he must have thought that Christ's return was imminent as well or was going to happen while he was alive. What he's saying is it's, it's, it's we as believers, all believers. So we as believers who are alive at his second coming, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to go down. Just a little bit different. Okay. So the stricter version cannot thus appeal. As, so the stricter, the dispensationalism basically cannot appeal to this because they affirm a pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, everything is still future. You can't really talk about um, the Christ coming is always been imminent if it's all in the future. Does that make sense? Okay. Additionally, those who affirm the letters to the seven churches. So uh, John, in, in the first part, in chapter two and three, he's writing these letters. Christ is, um, John's basically the amanuensis. He's the writer of what Christ is saying to write to these seven churches in Asia Minor. Minor. I, don't, I don't know if y'all remember that map when we were talking about uh, Lydia. Um, and she was, she was from Thyatira. And one of the churches is Thyatira. You have Sardis, you have Pergamos, you have, you have Thyatira, uh, you have Smyrna, you have Philadelphia. Just so you know, that's Philadelphia's an old city. Uh, it means brotherly love. Phileo and Adelphos is brotherly love. That's why it's called the city of brotherly love. Okay, so, so there are these seven churches very close to each other. And Ephesus is another one. And so he's writing to these churches. And again, I'll give you my own viewpoint of, of that. Well, let me just quickly say... I do think that applies to different kinds of churches. There are different types of churches in the world at all times, at all times. And, <coughs> excuse me, these letters are meant to warn us and meant to encourage us. Christ has many problems with many of these churches, and some of them don't have that many problems, and so he's encouraging these churches, okay? So I think, I think that reflects the church as it is now, as she is now, in many different ways, okay? However, it does apply, and it did apply specifically to those 
historical churches, those seven churches. See, this is kind of my viewpoint in action. So it both, it both was meant for those churches and it's meant for the church today. Okay, so yeah, okay, now my viewpoint. Well, the idealist view, first of all. So this is one. This is what I, I subscribe to, but in a modified version, which we'll get to shortly. The idealist view affirms that Revelation is a symbolic portrayal of the conflict between good and evil, the forces of between God and Satan, basically. Okay. Now, the most radical form holds this conflict as a timeless struggle. So this is just an eternal struggle between struggle between. So it's a dualistic viewpoint where there's an eternal good and eternal evil and there's always a conflict and there's no con there's no consummation of this at all and i find that heretical so the idealist notion however encounters the opposite problem mentioned regarding the preterist and the historicist as it identifies none of the book symbols with the, with specific historical events the extreme version of this just says that this is this is generally a, a depiction of time until the end of history, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, before we go on to my viewpoint, does anybody have a question regarding any of these? Good, okay. Okay, my viewpoint. A modified version of the idealist position sometimes known as eclecticism, okay? So that's where I find myself. And the definition of eclecticism, simply put, is deriving ideas from a range of sources. So, no specific prophesied historical events are discerned in Revelation, except for the final coming of Christ, with a few exceptions. So, those churches that I was talking about, they do apply specifically to those churches. However, I see them as coming down throughout time, throughout to all the churches, until the end of history, until the end of the age, okay? The apocalypse, there's the Greek, transliterated, uh, portrays symbolically history which is understood to be under the sovereignty of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, resulting from his death and resurrection. Now, the prophecies are always given, let me, let me just say, so, well, we'll get into that, I'm sorry, we'll get into that here shortly. So, Christ will guide the depicted events until they finally issue in the final judgment and establishment of his kingdom. So the book of Revelation is really Christ working through history until he comes again. That's why I also said last week, he's preparing his way. He's preparing his second coming. All of history up until this point is, can be seen in the light of Revelation, and you can pick, you know, you can see these specific events in history. I think, I think Israel being restored as a nation, I think is one specific event in history. However, so th thus, specific events from Christ's first coming to his second may be identified with one narrative or simple. So, a number of, of historical events, such as Israel being restored into their land, can be seen through certain symbols in the book of Revelation. Okay, does that make sense? So in other words, everything that's in the book of Revelation applies, so again, going back to those churches, they, the, the, the letters were meant to apply to those specific churches and the churches throughout time. Same thing for the rest of the book until, he, until his second coming, really until chapter 22. Or 21, basically. I mean, that's where uh, John describes heaven in the new Jerusalem. Not really heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. So, 
Again, my viewpoint is that all of the book of Revelation, which is symbolic, and we'll get into that, applies to all of history, specific general events or otherwise, until he comes again. So the book of Revelation is, is meant to encourage his people and meant to warn his people. Not about, an, not less, less, less do or less for a, a point of reference to come as much as it is a point of reference of what already has been, what is, and what is to come. In other words, the book of Revelation covers the past, the present, and the future. Does that make sense? Okay. I don't know why I'm pointing to the TV. Anyway, <laughs> so this note, the crucial yet problematic task of interpretation is to identify through careful exegesis, so careful interpretation, careful hermeneutics, and against original historical background, those texts which pertain to past, present, and future respectively. Again, that's basically what I just said. No. Prophecies are generally to be interpret, sim, interpreted symbolically because they're always symbolic, okay? Now, the way we can, we, we, we can understand and, and more adequately interpret the book of Revelation is to look at past prophecies, which we have, and to see their fulfillments through Christ. And so we, can, we have a glimpse as to how these prophecies will be manifest, and therefore the, the prophecies in the apocalypse. Does that make sense? We can, we can use the prophecies that have already been fulfilled and see how they were fulfilled and see how the symbolism applied to their fulfillment and apply that to the book of Revelation. Not, not this whimsical, you know, everything's a symbol and we, we know absolutely what these symbols are and so forth, okay? And again, we'll talk more about this during the, the Olivet Discourse. I just I, I wanted to kind of try to breeze through this to get there because I think that, that will kind of show you more what I'm talking about. Okay, so interpretation. Do we interpret literally or do we interpret figuratively? I've been talking about symbolically and so forth. Literal, many people, especially seculars, will ask Christians, and I've been asked, do you really read the Bible literally? Do you really interpret the Bible literally? And I love, you know, what I love to do is kind of shake things up. <laughs> and I say, well, of course, how else would I read it? Because they think that's silly. You know, there's so much symbolism in there. What we mean by interpreting literally is based on the genre, based on the literature that is given. If it's a historical narrative, then we interpret it hi historically. If it's a prophetic and a symbolic narrative, then we interpret it symbolically. Okay? So, we always <laughs> interpret it literally in that sense. So, the, all of Christ's parables, you know, when he's talking about, I don't know, for, for example... Remember when he was talking about the, the sower, you know, who, who goes out and sows the seed and some of it falls on, you know, dry ground, totally off of the field and everything else. We interpret that literally symbolically. Okay, we, we, don't, we don't think that, you know, we're waiting for these actual seeds and this sower to go out, and, you know, sowing these seeds and so forth. But we do, inter does that make sense? Okay. So we interpret based on the literature 
of the time or of the of the narrative okay now the Olivet discourse is what I wanted to kind of introduce this people will will infuse infuse this discourse with the book of Revelation in other words that they're kind of one in the same where I don't absolutely subscribe to that and I'll get into why okay so we'll start with Mark chapter 13 verses 1 through 13 and I wanted to give you these are these are basically the places where this Olivet Discourse takes place okay this is after Christ is in the temple he sees this poor woman given in as much as she can and she's and he's it's just basically two mites you know she she's very poor and Christ says you know I tell you the truth she's put in she's given more than anybody else because she's given out of the the little that she has whereas most were giving little out of the um, much that they had okay so mark chapter 13 verses 1 through 13 then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. We've talked about this. This is referring to the temple. And remember, the temple was grand. It was beautiful. The, Herod the Herodian temple was beautiful. It was massive and it was beautiful. Made of granite, marble, all sorts of different wonderful, beautiful, beautiful. Again, it was one of the wonders of the ancient world okay so his disciples are saying look at this what do you think of this jesus and jesus is saying i tell you the truth now one stone will be left upon another of this temple okay now as he sat, sat on the mount of olives opposite the temple peter james and john and andrew asked him privately tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled okay that's two different questions there's two different questions. See, this is where interpretation is essential. This is where we're careful when we're reading the Bible, okay? Because when will these things be is a question regarding, this is what Christ is answering anyway, regarding the temple specifically, okay? And then, um, what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Really, when you're coming again, okay? So that's a second question that Christ is going to answer, okay? So the rest of chapter 13. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Real quickly, this is imperative for the church. Many have come in his name and saying, and many have prognosticated, we've made this point, many have made these times and dates of when Christ is coming, and that time has come and gone, and they just, you know, they just continue their same nonsense. Remember, Christ says, no one, no one knows that hour, including the Son. So anybody, be, be careful, let no one deceive you. We must be very careful. That's why today, I hope you're not looking for these specific time frames and this specific, this is what to expect exactly. And when these things happen, you know, we'll see through, through what Christ says and through what the book of Revelation, some symbolism as to when we see these things, we notice that the time is drawing near. The time is always drawing near. With every passing moment, the time of his second coming is more and more at hand okay so be careful let no one deceive you but when you hear of wars and rumors of wars do not be troubled 
for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. We, there have always been wars and rumors of wars. And now the wars in our time are completely different. Again, this is why many people think that his second coming is, very, is right around the corner. And essentially it is right around the corner. He's preparing his way, okay? But, he, but let nobody deceive you. People will say, because of these wars, the time is coming. But Christ, Christ is saying specifically, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. That's what he says. The end is not yet. So yes, notice these, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. And there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. These are the beginning of sorrows. This is the beginning of the tribulation. The tribulation, as I see it, has been since his, since his ascension, essentially, okay? The tribulation has been and will be until he comes again. There will be heightened. There will become worse and worse. The Bible talks about people, this, this severe famine, and parents will be eating the flesh of their children, and they won't even share it with their, the rest of their children. Women, pregnant women will be ravished, so many, many terrible, terrible things. It will get darker and darker and darker. And that has been the regression of history. But again, the end is not yet. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. This happened to the apostles. And this, is, this has happened throughout time to his people, okay? But again, this is specifically applies to the apostles, the disciples of his time, and the disciples to come and now are. Many martyrs throughout the church have, have undergone this same persecution, the same martyrdom. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Remember the Great Commission. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So, be on watch. Keep guard. Be ready. In season, out of season. Beware of these things. Don't seek your own comfort. Don't seek your own good. Seek the good of Christ's commission. See the good, seek the good of Christ's coming. Always be ready. Look forward to His coming. Pray. Read your Bible. Stay in His Word. And you will stay, and you will remain in Him, and He will remain in you. <coughs> Otherwise, you will have the tendency to give up your parents. You will betray your brother. You will be. Those who are hated for Christ's sake will endure till the end. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Many will endure until just before His coming and fall away. This is our blessed Lord warning us. He who endures 
to the absolute end, he will be saved. Okay. Now Luke, I want to give a little bit of Luke because Luke is the only one who gives this part. Okay. In Matthew and Mark, Mark it goes into the... the it really goes back to Daniel's prophecy, okay? The abomination of desolation, which we will get to, God willing, another time. However, so in chapter 21 of the, the Gospel of Luke, verses 20 through 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let, not those, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Okay. This is talking about the end of the Jewish age. Now, this is where Christians might be accused of anti-Semitism. And I'm sorry. So, I remember this, this interview between, um, I think it was Barbara Walters and uh, Mel Gibson after the Passion of the Christ had come out. And, and, and many Jews were, were worried that it conveyed anti-Semitism, basically blaming the Jews for Christ's crucifixion. Now, it obviously, it definitely wasn't just the Jews who delivered Christ up to be crucified. It was the entire world. However, you can't look at the historical narrative without recognizing that the Jewish people, his people, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Remember the Gospel of John. The Jews did put him to death. The, you know, and, for, and for that argument, I will just say, look at your Old Testament. Look at your own scriptures. The, the judgment of God was coming. It had come. They, were, they had been taken captive. And he continued to say that he was going to destroy the, the, the nation, basically, to graft, into, graft in the Gentiles. Okay, so you would have to argue, I would have to argue, if you're going to make that argument, then the Old Testament is anti-Semitic, which is a silly notion. Which is a silly notion. Israel, the nation of Israel, was apostate. They, were they became more and more heretical. However, there's still a faithful remnant. There's still a faithful number of Israel who have bowed the knee to Christ and see Him as the, the true Messiah, Messianic Jews. So they are our brothers and sisters. But many of these viewpoints that I, was, that I was addressing think that there are two different people of God, the nation of Israel and Christians. That's nonsense. There is only one tree and there is only one means of salvation. That is biblical throughout the Old Covenant and the New. Okay? So that's all I'm going to say about that. If I'm, you know, accused of anti-Semitism, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I, I don't... The Jews will actually be restored. There's, there, there's, there are many prophecies also with the Great Commission to reach out, to go back to the Jews. Remember, Paul was going into the synagogues. We are meant to preach to the Jews as well. Okay, But the only Savior is Jesus Christ. 
the Messiah that had been prophesied in the Old Covenant. Okay, so, so Jew and Gentile alike, much like Paul was saying, are, are un, in the sheepfold. You know, those who are his anyway, are in the sheepfold, whether Jew or Gentile, whether ethnic Jew or ethnic Gentile. Those who are his are his. But, again, this is talking about the end of the Jewish age. However, I think this is reflective as well about the end of the age specifically. Now, I wanted to get into more detail because Josephus actually writes much about the fall of Jerusalem. He was a general at that time. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a big deal. He was very important. And he talks about when the wrath came... It was dark, it was cloudy, and he talks about the sun coming, not S-U-N, S-O-N, which is interesting. He was a Jew. He was not a Christian. He existed about the end, towards the end of the first century into the beginning of the second century. However, there's, there's much there that you can, you can read, and God willing, we will take some time to consider. But again, this has somewhat of a dualistic um, uh, fulfillment. One that has already been fulfilled and one which will be fulfilled. Okay, now Matthew chapter 24 first verses 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation, this is Jesus again, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall, fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from, the, from one end of, the, of heaven to the other. Again, this is when, when we were talking about last week during his ascension, and those angels were saying, why are you gazing up into heaven? This Jesus will, co will come in like manner as you saw him ascend into heaven. He will come in the clouds. He will come in the Shekinah cloud. And he, with his angel and the glory of his Father, he kept on saying that. That's the other thing he continued to say. However, the earth will mourn. Everybody will see him. This is not going to be tucked away in a corner. This isn't going to be hidden. This isn't symbolic. In other words, if you had a camera, it's something you could actually take a picture of. It's, it's true. It's real. It will be done and everyone will see it. Everyone will see him. Some will mourn. Others will be gathered up with him in glory. Okay. Chapter 36, I mean, verses 36 through 44. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only again that just goes back to don't be deceived don't be deceived let no one tell you that this is this is happening this is he's coming right right now because these wars and these rumors of wars or because israel has been restored to their nation let do not be deceived no one knows except the father not even the son so many will come in his name saying i am he so they will they will feel like they figured it out don't be deceived. Do not listen to the testimony of men. Listen to our Savior. But as the, day, as the days of Noah were, 
so also will be the will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So in other words, remember when we considered the that the Noah, Noahic uh, portion, the narrative about Noah. Remember, I, I had even said, I know this is about more than a year ago, but the time of great wickedness was at hand at that point. Absolute degeneracy, terrible, terrible things. And that's why God flooded the entire earth, and except for Noah and his family. Okay, so Jesus Christ is saying, as the days of Noah were, so it will be at the day of the coming, at the second coming of Christ. People will be, will be absolutely degenerate, but they will just be living their lives, you know, marrying and giving marriage, drinking and so forth. And before, the, and it will catch them like a thief in the night. That's what he's basically, that's what he's saying. As in the days of Noah, so it will be in the day of his coming. Then, two men, so this is after the tribulation, this is the rapture, this is the rapture that is not a pre-tribulation rapture, but it is the true rapture at the end of the tribulation. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. <coughs> two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. So again, many, will, some, one of these, he's given this as an illustration, one of these will be taken up into the cloud, the other will be left to be condemned. Be on guard. Keep watch. Don't be deceived. Watch for his coming. Always be ready. These two, one of these men was ready. One of these women was ready. Was ready. That's why they were taken and the others were left. Watch therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We are given these lives we are given this brief moment on this earth, and God willing, He does come soon. In the book of Revelation, John even continues to say, Even so, Lord, come. And the bride says, Come. And all of heaven says, Come. Everybody's, all of God's people are waiting for His coming. However, be ready. You be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, those who are of the world will be left. That is why I, I try to exhort you, I try to encourage you to remain in Him. Seek out the things of Christ. This world will be rolled up like a scroll and perish for a new heaven and a new earth. Real quickly, many people think that we will spend eternity in heaven. That is not so. The intermediate state, we are taken into the presence of God. But there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and Christ will reign upon the earth, and we will be with him on the new, in the new earth. Part of the new heaven and the new earth. 
glorified, glorified, so much greater than the paradise that was, the paradise to come, with translucent golden streets, gates of pearls, a, a stream of living water, and the tree of life at our disposal, where, where there are basically 12 different fruits for the whole year, and the leaves are meant for the healing of the nations. A wonderful and, and there will be no tears. There will be no sorrow. There will be no enmity. There will be no curse. The Bible says that. Revelation says that. Look forward to this day. This is what we're made for. Especially his people. Be ready. Be ready. Don't be left behind to perish with the rest of the world. Our, our Savior is our glory. And, and, and if we choose to seek out the things of this world, we are not preparing. We are not preparing and we are susceptible to be the one left at the mill, to be the one left at the grinding. Be ready. Seek your Savior. He's coming. He is coming. That I can promise you. That I know for sure. That we all know for sure. At what hour and what time, we don't. Only the Father does. That's why we must always be ready. We must always be ready. The Antichrist, let me get into this because we won't speak much about, we won't speak anything about this. Anti, the word anti can mean against. In other words, just the antithesis of Christ. And that's how most people see it. Or it can mean a replacement of Christ, an apostate. And that's why many theologians think that it will be actually a member of the clergy, a great Christian, as it were, who makes his own way, says, I am the Christ. He puts himself in the temple or the place of worship. Let's just put it that way, in the place of worship, and extols his own name or the name of the beast or the name of the dragon. The dragon is Satan. And this one will depict another kind of trinity of the dragon, the beast, and this man. Be on watch. Don't be deceived. This one will be able to call fire from heaven. Don't trust in lying signs and wonders. We have the truth. We have the words of our Savior warning us. Be ready. Christ is coming. Praise God. Okay. Any, any questions? Don't be shy. This is hard. This is difficult. This is, you know, this is one area where there's not a lot in which you can concretely know, because it's a mystery. Remember, that's why, that's what Paul was saying. All the prophecies of the Old Testament, especially about the Messiah, have been revealed. These mysteries are now revealed, yet there are still mysteries. He even gives some. Remember, so the, this is a mystery. This is a mystery. It's not unknowable. It's not a mystery that we can't know anything about. But it's a mystery that we, of which 
we can be certain is happening, but exactly how? Let's not be dogmatic. Let's, let's, not, let's not make our own conjecture and our own speculation absolute dogma. That's why most of those viewpoints I find to be just a difference of opinions between Christians, except for the full preterist who's saying that all of these things have passed and that and eschatology just has to do with what happens to us when we die. That is unbiblical. That's why that's heretical. That's why I can say, point blank, that's heretical. The others are not. The others are not. I think they're mistaken, but it's a differing, difference of opinions based on facts, though. You know, based on actual interpretations, biblical passages, and so forth. But what we do know, what we know for sure, is that he is coming. All of creation, since the fall of Adam and Eve, the earth and the people of God have been groaning and travailing until his coming. Like Christ had said, or like, like Paul had said, it's like a woman in labor. You know, she, she struggles when she's in labor, yet... When she gives birth, she's glad. She's glad and merry. And we'll talk a little bit about that in our next message. All right. Praise God. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God. And we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the word of God is life.